I think the ability to not be overwhelmed and, and as you said, going quiet when everything else goes big, there's a real lesson there, particularly for newcomers to industry because it's bloody hard. And apart from there being noise, noise, noise all day, every day, it's a tough gig and it's a lot of rejection, particularly at the start. It's a lot of rejection after rejection after rejection and able to be in a position where that isn't overwhelming is a really important trait to be able to possess. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. Each episode, we bring you behind-the-scenes supplier news, developments, exclusive interviews, technology and more to help you list more, sell more and elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. Now, here is your host... Samantha McLean. Welcome, everyone, to another special episode of the Elevate podcast, another episode of the Deluxe Nuts. Well, I think it's uh, it's episode four of the Deluxe Nuts of five, so we're getting very close to the end of our season two recaps of Lux Listing Sydney. I'm joined once again by Wagga legend, auctioneer, salesperson, and now uh, regrowth consultant, Dave Scow. Good morning, Good Dave. Hi, how are you? Really good. Looking forward to the long weekend. Really looking forward to the long weekend. A couple of long weekends in a row, which is a real trip. Yeah, absolutely. And are you doing anything special other than watching Lux listings, of course? Are we watching Lux listings from the luxury of our little holiday house down on the south coast down at Jervis Bay? So um, hopefully the, the weather's looking good, which it hasn't. All summer it's been wet, wet, wet. So we haven't had much of a go at it this year. But yeah, it should be a good couple of days. I'm hoping I'm hoping that has changed because it's been the same up here on the Gold Coast and uh, but it feels like you know it feels like a bit of spring creeping back in the bit of summer creeping back in the air so let's hope that Easter is is a good good period for everyone. Yeah, fingers crossed. No, no locusts or anything like that. We don't want anything else. <laughs> um, anyway, so we are here to recap Lux Listing Sydney, but before we get into that, you caught up with Delene a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, I did. I was really excited to get the opportunity to interview her one-on-one. I had never met her before and obviously was enamoured by her throughout the first and second season of Lux Listing, so it was a real treat to be able to speak to her. Yeah, amazing. So um, any any little tidbits that you managed to get out of Delene that we should look out for? Yeah, I think that Delene has proven herself on the show to be an absolute – masterclass and that obviously comes with experience in terms of the way that she's able to build rapport and empathy with clients the way that she's able to pick herself up and dust herself off off after uh, a rejection um so we touch on a couple of those real estate pieces um i also delve in and ask her if uh she could be the queen of survivor and knocking off the duchess of double bay uh, and she gave a bit of an interesting response so i'm keen to show you uh, what she says Amazing. Well, shall we roll the tape? Roll the tape. G'day, folks, and welcome to this special interview for the Deluxe Nuts podcast, brought to you by Elite Agent and sponsored by our good friends at Issue. I'm Dave Scow, and I'm excited to be joined by Lux Listings Australia superstar, Delene Lewis. Welcome, Delene. Hey, Dave. How are you doing? Good, thank you. So we've just launched into season two of the show. Uh, what was your reaction yes. to how season one was received? I was amazed. I mean, I didn't think that it would be when Amazon first approached me, I was like, what's so interesting about what we do? I didn't think there would be an appetite for it, but A, they did an amazing job, but B, we've got um, amazing um, 
properties to work with. We've got Sydney, which is amazing. So you look at the harbour, you look at the foreshore, you look at the city. I mean, to actually have those tools to be able to work with is pretty extraordinary. And then to have the houses as well that we have to work with is added to that. You know, they've made an amazing show. And I was even astounded looking back at it, thinking, wow, that's actually really good. They're actually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Only they know what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that we've that's taken a view much. of it from an agent's point of view. So obviously there's the general public who are really interested in the, the amazing location and the homes and things like that. From an agent point of view, it's been a really interesting um, sneak peek, I suppose, inside mm. the workings of these elite agents uh, working in these elite areas of Sydney. Um mm. For you, resilience seems to be a bit of a theme that's come across both seasons. I know that in season one, we had your vendor, Tom, who had the house that didn't sell, who, who decided yeah. to part company. In season two, we had the deal with the cliff house with Simon that fell over because the vendors couldn't find somewhere to go. You seem to handle those moments of rejection with a much more level head than some of the other castmates on the show. What do you put that down to? experience you know like we joke about it like I've been doing this for nearly 30 years so when Gavin was three and I think Simon was six I started my real estate career it makes a difference because it teaches you as well that it's not you know death by real estate no one's going to die now you take a deep breath and you realize that there's going to be another way to pivot to solve the problem. Our job as a real estate agent is, and it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So it is a difficult task. And if your vendors want to bump up their price or you lose a buyer, your job is not to sit and wallow in it, is your job is to strategize a way to get your clients what they want and take yourself out of it and work out how to be and stay professional and work out how to get there to the end. And I think experience only teaches you that. I mean, I used to do, I lose deals all the time. I make deals all the time. You're fielding hundreds of phone calls every single day. You lose a deal in one phone call and the next phone call will be making a deal and you have to be able to bounce back really super quickly. Otherwise you're not going to have a career. And I think that's what the exciting thing is about it as well. So no matter how you're feeling, you always have to have and be at that high level of professional professionalism and survivorship all the time and that is resilience as you just said and it does seem like you need to be on all the time from the moment you yeah. wake up to the moment you go to sleep how do you maintain that energy throughout the day well I've got two young kids as well and I've always said they're they're my absolute priority um so I'll wake up in the morning at 5.55 a.m. I'll do my meditation, which is the thing that has absolutely changed my life. And if I'm having a really difficult day um, at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll pop in a meditation session there as well. And that is like a shot of coffee to your whole body. It seriously is. Like they say, 20 minutes of meditation is the equivalent to three to four hours of deep sleep. Now, you look at that cost versus benefit. Of course, you should be meditating. It's going to give you more sleep. Um, so that really does help me as well. I think when you've got the level of experience that I've managed to be lucky enough to get over the years, you can pull from situations and say, okay, this is what I need to do. Sometimes if you're in a really difficult negotiation, instead of reacting, think about responding as well. Take a deep breath, go for a little walk, go through your brain, what are the tools available to me? What are the options available to me? Strategize rather than react, strategize. And I think any agent out there will greatly benefit from being less reactive and work out what they need to do to get themselves and the vendor there without putting themselves in the middle of that and blowing up a whole deal.
Yeah. Respond but not react is probably okay. one of the most insightful things I've heard this week. So I'm going to steal that and use it for myself. You uh, can. You know. That's not mine, buddy. That's not mine. <laughs> um, speaking about your daughters, you're obviously amazing, an amazing mum to your two young ones and you um, are an amazing daughter to your parents and a sister to your sister that when we get a glimpse of them throughout the show as well. How do you strike that work-life balance that seems to be such a, a difficult task for a lot of people, particularly working mums, it seems to be something yeah. that um, is, is hard to master? Yeah, I'm a single working mum as well, which kind of makes it even more challenging. But, you know, no one's an island. We don't do this by ourselves. We, we it, it takes a village. And it really does. To have good help in the office as well as home is everything. Um, I think over the years you actually get to be better at what you do because you learn how to balance. And it's still a, it, it's still always a juggle. It's a journey, isn't it? We're all trying to get better at what we're doing. And there's some days that I was just like, that was just a bumpy day. Like I can do better tomorrow. And you have to learn to give yourself some forgiveness. It's like listing appraisal. Sometimes you go in and it's like, I really stuffed that up. I really blew that up. And then you know what you need to do to pull from that to get better the next time. We're all a work in progress. Um, not every day I'm the best mom. Sometimes I'm impatient. I've had a terrible day. I've worked 12 hours and I'm tired um and then i know next tomorrow i i can do better and i will do better and i think that is the journey of life as well is that we all are striving to improve in one way or another we're all a work in progress beautiful completely agree this season we also got a glimpse into the lang and simmons corporate deal where yourself yes. and some of your fellow franchise owners along with our friendly Anne pilkington uh, have an opportunity to acquire the lang and simmons corporation yes. how's that all going Phenomenal. It's been such a learning curve for me for being a franchise owner, which I've been for 15 years and a business owner, and then always complaining to head office about I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that, I'm not getting value, blah, blah, blah. My franchise fees are too high. Now we're flipping on the other side. Yeah. But the reason we bought it is because we wanted a seat at the table. We wanted to control that dialogue. And when your franchise owners start complaining about something, rather than do nothing, do everything right? Do everything. And that's the real exciting thing about we don't want to be like some of the other guys. Um, we definitely do not want to be like that. We want to change the conversation. That's why I agreed to do the show because I want to change the conversation. So there is a better way to do this. We don't have to be the shiny things that people don't like about real estate agents for the most part. We can do things a different way. We can do things a better way. I mean, Leanne Pilkington has a trailblazer in what she's doing for women and for the industry. And I think if we can have a conversation about how do we make ourselves better, it is a better conversation for us, for our peers, and also for the industry, the consumer wins at the end of the day, that should be the conversation. Yeah, agree. And I think that that probably puts Lang and Simmons at a pretty unique position in that the people that the decisions affect directly are the ones that have got a seat at that table. And that's something that a lot of franchise um, operations can't claim to have. Exactly. And, you know, instead of saying, oh, you know, we're a family owned business and have a thousand offices, we're saying we are the family that makes the business and sure. all of our business owners make up our family. And that's the that, that's the ethos with Langan Simmons. That's what I love. It's been my real estate family since I joined. I left there for a couple of years and I came back because I love the culture. It is a family culture where all of us from all over Sydney are a family and we're not judged by where we live or how much we earn, it is like we're all in it together and we're trying to make it work. And it is really a beautiful, it's a beautiful culture. And yeah, I'm not just yeah. saying that, because, but it's actually that's why I bought into it because I yeah. believe so strongly in it. Yeah, amazing. 
Um, we've also just had it confirmed that Lux Listings has been renewed for an exciting third season. Um, you're probably not aware of this, but Sam McLean and I often refer to you as Queendling in our podcast. Oh, thanks. It rhymes too. Yeah, it does <laughs> rhyme. Um, please, please tell us that Queendling is back on board with season three. We've already shot it. Ah, We're done. We're done. Well, so now that you've thank shot you, it, Lord, the shooting is over. They Amazing. asked me the other day, was the best part of um, season two? And I was like, when it ended? The rap, yes. <laughs> because it is, it's really full on. It's sure. really full on. But um, it's, it's. Um, I don't know when they're going to drop it. You know, this is up to the, the Amazon gods. They have, they work in their own stratosphere. So we are just their humble servants. We do what can they tell us to do. Anything that we can expect to see in season three? Um. Look, they always love a bit of drama, don't they? Um, they I shy away from that drama. I hate that stuff. But I think you'll see some pretty epic houses. That, like, because they're also going out of the East as well with um, with stuff that Monica's doing as well, you'll see um, <laughs> some pretty epic houses. She loves the cheese room. So, you know, like <laughs> you'll, you'll see some pretty eccentric houses. Amazing. When you uh, just touched on the point that you don't like the drama, then from industry, I think that you've done a really great portrayal to the general public at what real estate agents actually are. We get a really yeah. dud rap, and I think that there are many members of the public that think that we're really just in it for the money or just in it for the fast cars and designer brands. And so on behalf of the industry, thank you, because I think that you've shown the general public that we're not all that and, and that, that client-first mentality is absolutely the cornerstone of, of any really successful agent. Well, exactly. And successful agent being the key because I interview a lot of guys and they want to be in for the glory, the shiny shoes, the, the make one sale and they post all over Instagram. It's like if you're in it for that reason, you will not succeed. You might succeed for a minute, but your longevity will never be there. This is a marathon. You need stamina, you need discipline, and you need to have morals. And if you don't have those things, you will not survive. Um, you will get eaten up. And it is a doggy dog business out there. And so it should be because you're not only the toughest survive, but the people that have the most holistic view on what success really looks like, they will yeah. survive and they will thrive. And yeah. I think that's the difference that we are bringing to the table about real estate is that it is a different conversation. And you as an agent out there, if you're the first part of the conversation, you're not going to survive long-term in this industry. If you want to be the second part of the conversation, there's always room for change. There's always room for growth. And you will benefit that not only in your career, but in your life. And that should really be the key. Yeah. Sage advice there. That's fantastic. Uh, one last question for you. Now that you've had a bit of a taste of reality television, I'm a huge Survivor fan. Can we expect to see you on any other reality formats I think that you would be fantastic at Survivor. We've had a couple of agents there already. Obviously, okay. we've had Cara, the Duchess of Double Bay. Perhaps it's time for Queen Delene to take the throne. Oh no! Oh no! Um, I am. I'm really happy in my lane, <laughs> and I'm really happy. You know, my kids take the party, and I'm just. I just. I don't want to. I don't want to be a TV star. I'm happy sure. doing this because it's fallen in my lap. But I'm not out there gunning for anything else but who knows what's around the corner you know maybe they'll get me on bold and the beautiful maybe maybe we've seen a couple of bold and the beautiful uh pensive looks from the boys this season i know uh, so that, so. They, simon can be bold and gavin can be beautiful or they'll probably fight over which ones which who yeah. knows well done very good <laughs> lewis thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us thank Lane. you thank you thank you thanks for having me bye take care all right amazing interview with delene dave yeah, as you see, she's just such a genuine 
um, humble, warm person. She was such a joy to speak to. Uh, and that's how she portrays herself on the show too. So it was nice to see that what we see on the screen is, is actually how she uh, represents herself in real life. Yeah, well, can I, I I actually met her for the first time at the premiere a couple of weeks ago and she was dressed in this divine orange number and um, definitely queen worthy and she was one of my favourite um, favorite people in the first season and in this episode has actually one of my favourite quotes that I've ever heard in the whole real estate industry So um, and, are, and are really, really good for life. So we're about to get on with our, our recap of episode five of season two of Lux Listings but before we do, a quick shout out to Issue.com who without we couldn't make this series as fun and engaging and as enticing as as we have. Uh, They're big supporters of the Deluxe Nuts. And as a special offer, readers and listeners of Elite Agent Elevate can get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for an annual premium account to get 50% off when you go to issue.com and use the promo code ELITE. That's I-S-S-U-U.com. And use the promo code ELITE at the checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium annual account. So once again, that's issue.com with the promo code ELITE. All right, Dave, let's get on with our recap of episode five. Beauty, let's get stuck in. And episode five opens with uh, the rolling panorama of Sydney and it's a, it's a really a, a play the game of spot the Sydney landmark with beautiful vistas of the bridge and the opera house and we're obviously back in the east uh, the real stomping ground of the Lux Listings uh, show, I suppose. And we come to another episode of Carpool Karaoke with Simon and Tammy uh, <laughs> pacing the streets of the eastern suburbs. And a really interesting thing, and I think that a lot of agents could resonate with this, with Simon and uh, Tammy's banter um, on this car ride of pointing out the properties that they're driving past and what they know about them. From a buyer's agent's perspective, they're very <laughs> picky and they're saying, yuck, yuck, filthy, horrible grotesque. I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe you can see right into the front yard of this new place, blah, blah, blah. But it reminded me of the umpteen dozen times where I've got a friend or a family member in the car and we're driving around Wagga, particularly if someone's not from Wagga, perhaps I've got people visiting and it really is. I've sold that one. I sold that one last year. That bloke bought a house off me and he's renovating it now. So um, it just goes to show, I suppose, that the um, insanely detailed market knowledge that these guys have when they're at the top of the game because they may not have dealt with these transactions but they know uh, innately what something has traded for when it traded what the the plans are who bought it um, and yeah I think that's it's a really good point to making sure you've got that local knowledge to be at the top of your game. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point for any sort of um, people that have just come in in the industry, um, you know, like a really great tip in getting hyper-local actually means knowing who did what, like, you know, like in in the greatest of detail. And you know what I always say to people, if you're not number one, be a reporter. So, (laughs) you know, like report on on everything, have such local, have such great intimate knowledge that you can actually, you know, you could do the report just like CoreLogic but better. Yeah, correct. And look, all the best agents that I know will spend half an hour or 45 minutes at the end of each day looking at what has come on the market in that area and what has been reported as sold, whether it's through realestate.com or domain.com or through the core logic data. Um, And they just have this um, really incredible ability to retain that information and be able to draw on it in their brain as they need to. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we get to our destination, which is um, something called the Amalfi Coast House, uh, five bedrooms, six bathrooms, and an estimated eye-watering price of $18 million. Big money, but what a view, hey? And it is in that little pocket of Bellevue Hill that um, is a little bit uh, out of the way and, and well hidden. The views are insane. The views from uh, the, the city skyline all the way through to the Opera House and the bridge over to the heads, and then even looking out at the Point Piper Peninsula. Um, it must be a really exclusive enclave. I obviously have never been there, but I can can understand where it is on the map. Um, and, yeah, I imagine that those properties in there are pretty tightly held. That's it. If you can see the White House from the balcony, then you're obviously doing yeah. pretty well, right? You're in good company. Simon's client in this case is the head of the GWS Giants, Adrian Finesca. And, um, you know, I, I looked up Adrian and he definitely is a someone. So he was a banking and finance lawyer with Mac Bank and um, director and chair of audit and risk committees and all sorts of stuff like that. And he's brought the family along with him. And Simon mentioned him in the interview that, um, that, we, that we ran last week, that he's done a lot of business with Adrian. Um, and we talked about client loyalty a lot. Um, we get to a game of uh, Sydney, Landmark, Sydney Landmark I Spy, <laughs> as I like to call it. Um, and Tammy finally points out, you know, like when you when you live in Sydney, I guess, you know, and I lived in Sydney for a long time, every time you look at a property to live, whether it was to rent or to buy or whatever, you'd be craning your head for a view of the Harbour Bridge to go, well, am I going to see the fireworks from here? Yeah. And um, <laughs> finally, Tammy hits on that major Sydney selling point of, can you imagine the New Year's fireworks? And I'm yeah. like, yes, I can. And yeah. yes, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been the question that's gone through my head all throughout season one and now almost all the way through to season two, just how incredible the vantage point would be for the New Year's fireworks over Sydney Harbour. And look, this place would be second to none, really. It's It's got gun barrel views right down to the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. It's a spectacular location. That's it. I'd, I'd be organising the party even before the ink was dry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah correct. Saying, <laughs> Is it my place? But, um, but anyway, so the kids aren't thinking about New Year's Eve. They're just looking around going, we love this house. Um, and then Adrian drops the bombshell, which is, uh, he's only got 14 or $15 million to spend on something that is $18 million. And um, and then, you know, like he says, well, you know, like you've we've, we've worked together for a long time and there's plenty of sass between Tammy and, and Adrian on, you know, Simon's um, history and backstory. Um, but, yeah, he wants to cash in on all of his loyalty with Simon uh, I mean, I don't know. I thought love didn't cost a thing, like you know, yeah. being a, being a fan of J Lo, but clearly it does. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me about how this might play out in the real world. I think realistically, um, no amount of love or relationship is going to equate automatically to such a hefty discount. We're talking sort of twenty to twenty five percent discount off the asking price, um, whether. I suppose there's a little bit of puffery for the, the point of the show, whether the 18 to 20 was a realistic figure for a start. I think realistically, um, from a, a real estate selling agent's point of view, if you're marketing something for a million dollars, which is probably a bit more palatable in most areas than 18 to 20, definitely in Wagga, if we were marketing something for a million dollars and we knew that we had a buyer that only had 800 to spend, we probably wouldn't be wasting our time showing them through. It's not good for us. It's not good for the vendor. It's probably not good for the buyer either. So I think that there's probably a little bit of behind the scenes stuff that we haven't seen happen here, um, whether that is that 
um, the buyer's got more money than they're letting on in this episode or whether that asking price of 18 to 20 is perhaps a little inflated and, and realistically is more in line with what the buyer's got to spend. Um, and look, that sort of comes to a head before the season's out, so we'll discuss that in the next recap. But um, I think realistically showing someone where there's such a disparity in what they can afford and, and what something's asking is never going to happen in real life. Yeah, it, it it is. It's a really tough ask, I reckon. To um, you know, for but but good advertising for Simon because if he can do the deal, well, I guess you know, like he's going to be on everyone's speed dial. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think the point here is that relationship building. And, and Simon goes in to talk about um, this client being a client of Simon's way back when he was a real estate selling agent. Now through to the buyer's agency, and as he discussed in your piece. Uh, with him last week, he's now done a couple of other deals with this particular buyer since this episode was um, shot uh, way back last year. So uh, that relationship building has equated to multiple deals for Simon, obviously lots of money in terms of revenue generated. So that's probably the point here is, is maintaining those long-term relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so now we're sort of um, moved from Bellevue Hill to the Lambo um, and um, in the Lambo is not Rembo this time, but Shanee. So Gavin and Shanee are looking, looking like they're, um, you know, better friends than Gavin and Simon at this point. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Gavin talks about the meditation session that he's got planned with Delene and looks like he'd rather go to the dentist for like four simultaneous root canals. Yep. Um, yep. And I, <laughs> so I've got to say, you know, if he's had any acting sort of, you know, any acting mentoring or anything like that, they'd be very proud of him right now because that yeah. looked real. Yeah, it did look real. <laughs> um they, they talk about Gavin's meeting with Martine and the Sylvania Waters property and, um, you know, Gavin says Martine's not interested in that area. Well, duh, she just wanted it to be, you know, like Miami and got, got out of there as quick as she could. Yep. So, yeah, so then Gavin gets on and says, you know, you need to take the client's expectations and knock them out of the effing park, you know, which is true. You do need to do that. But clearly he's not feeling incredibly zen at the moment because as we saw in the last episode um he was called back to the doctor's surgery uh, to have something checked out so yeah and it's probably where we see Shanee come to the fore I suppose we've seen Shanee and Gad's relationship throughout season one um being that of friends first and then employer employee second um and it looks like Shanee's got a fair insight into Gad's personal life or his background, I suppose, and she can really tell that something's a little bit off and she sort of pushes and pushes just as far as she knows that she can push to try and get out of him what the, the problem is and that he's not acting himself and he's a little bit distracted. And, yeah, he tells us that uh, the doctor's visit came back with the, the shock announcement that the lump on his head was a, a skin cancer, a, a basal cell carcinoma. Um, which he explains is pretty common. It's probably the most common kind of skin cancer that people can get. He's quite sure that the prognosis is going to be okay long-term, but it does mean that he uh, has really, well, first of all, he's got an operation he's got to have, um, and B, maybe makes him take stock of priorities in life, I suppose, a little bit more. And he did touch on that at the end of the last episode in that cliffhanger when he got the call from the doctor's office. Um, but, yeah, look, I can imagine that that is probably something that would stop you in your tracks a little bit and think, shit, is is the balance that I've got at the moment right or, or does that need to be worked on? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that was the scene that, um, you know, when that came up, I, I actually went, holy crap, and texted Gav 
uh, and said, are you okay? And then, um, you know, he said, why? And I said, because I've just been watching the show. And I think, you know, he must have thought that I show, I thought the show was terrible. <laughs> he was like, yeah, oh, you yeah. And I'm like, no, your head's silly. Like, you know, like, is, is your head okay? And, um, I mean, this is not a spoiler. I mean, obviously there is spoilers here, but um, this doesn't get dealt with again. So um, we want to let you know that Gavin is fine. Um, he did have an operation. He sent me a pic of his head, like, you know, he was sort of wrapped, you know, from here up in a bandage. Um, he said he had 15 stitches in the noggin. Um, it luckily wasn't a melanoma, but, you know, like I guess if um, if it can happen to someone like Gavin, it can happen to anyone. Yeah. Um, he, he said he, he, had a, he had a general that morning and was at an open that night. <laughs> so, Unreal. Beast mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolute beast mode. And um, so taking yeah. stock of priorities and balance probably was thrown out the window straight after the operation because yeah. straight back into it. Yeah. yeah, but Gavin, if you're listening, we are very glad you're okay and we're very glad that, you know, Romy pushed you into it. And if anyone yeah. is even remotely thinking that sort of thing, go get yourself checked out, all right? Yeah, correct. Um, so, um, where do we get, we get, we get into TRG now and everyone's got green juices and are back on their health kicks and, um, Kai has taken a big role in this series I've noticed. Um, and, um, everyone sort of talks about him having a blinder and he wants to raise the topic about Monica, Monica and the Grand Sky Penthouse again. Mm -hmm. So we get a flashback to the co-listing party where everyone's sort of swanning around drinking champagne. And now that Gavin's had a bit of a health scare, he sort of wants to do it again, maybe not for the right reasons. Maybe he, like, saying that, um, you know, he doesn't want the others in there. So Yeah, correct. And that's what he goes straight to is, um, and we saw him earlier in this season very bluntly object to wanting to have anything to do with Monica. Um, and I know that you raised the question with him in your interview with him and, and that he just didn't, um, not that he didn't think much of her, but he just didn't think that he needed much out of her, I suppose, uh, that he does things his way, she does things her way. They're both very successful in their own right, but they probably don't align much otherwise. Um, but I think the point here was when Kai really emphasised that, well, at this co-listing party, it was between us, Pally is there, Delene's there, and Monica desperately wants to work with someone from the East to bring Eastern Suburbs buyers into this um, opportunity. And if it's not going to be us, then it's going to be someone else. And that's where Gav's ears pricked up and thought, well, no, I'd rather it was us than someone else. But is that really a good idea to do something? Like, you know, like I, I often I, I, you know, like, and, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I've jumped into things just because I don't want to be the first, not necessarily because I really want to or because it's good for my business. That's such a hard one though, isn't it? Yeah. And look, I think each, um, all residential sales agents would have had points in their career where they were faced with um, perhaps an opportunity where they didn't take the opportunity on because they wanted it first and foremost, but because they didn't want someone else to have it. And whether that's uh, a listing at a fee that someone's offered at a much lesser rate than what you would normally work for um, and you agree to match that fee because you'd rather have it at the lower fee than the other agent have it at the lower fee, it's probably not the right motivation. But at the same time, I mean, if, if you're edging out the competition in that way, particularly if you're a newer agent perhaps and, and opportunities are more scarce on the ground, Gava wouldn't have thought would have any trouble in that regard. And I also don't think that he's looking at it from the point of view that he's going to get personally involved, uh, but he's quite happy for the TRG brand to be represented at this co-listing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the same meeting, like, you know, and this this sort of had shades of season one when he announced that competition where, you know, I think we made that joke about them going for the J&B hi-fi vouchers. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, talks about having like a two-year party and, um, you know, going to a nice place and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, so that's something for us to look forward to. But, you know, the line in this that really confused me, well, confused me it was quite kind of funny Gavin says leave your mobile phones at home and then says just kidding like you know and in that three or four seconds between making the announcement and and saying just kidding it looked like half of them were going to stroke out like it was like you'd ask them for their first (laughs) one and it is like that asking an agent not to bring their phone to a function would be like asking them to have a limb locked it reminds me a little bit of, um, I don't know if you know, I, I used to work for Optus or Mark and I both used to work for Optus and every function where um, the CEO at the time, Paul O'Sullivan, would speak, he'd, he'd get up and then he'd say, will you all please switch your mobile phones off? And then he'd say, actually, no, those of you on the Optus network, turn them back on again. <laughs> like, you know, obviously thinking about the revenue, but, um, but yeah, like, I yeah, asking someone to give up their phone, um, uh, Anyway, yeah. moving along. So um, so we're back to Double Bay and Delene and Jacob and we're at a cute little cottage um, in Double Bay. Yeah, and it is cute. I really like this little house actually. <laughs> I mean, it's not the, the some of the property porn that we've seen in terms of clifftop or waterfront or views or anything like that, but it is as neat as a pin and it's just a really nice, humble-looking, and I mean humble, it's worth <laughs> six million, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a lovely little place. Simon walks in though and says, "Right, I show me around this shithole." <laughs> so <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, tactful as ever. Yeah, well, I, you know, you know, you know me. Like I look at these properties and then I think, "Oh, where is that?" And then you know, like I sort of, you know, I, I do all of it, googling and everything. But this one, I actually, I felt like I knew that because for a while I lived in Double Bay in Court Road, and there's lots of little cottages like that out out there and they're sort of you know they've really got cute exteriors and stuff like that and I looked at this one and um yeah it's not in court road but it's the street behind court road and I thought well that you know that that makes sense um you know but I think Simon is um you know funny when he says on a scale of teeny tiny the cottage is um Gavin (laughs) (laughs) So, so um you know it's bigger than the whites lift but um but not that much bigger yeah, that's right. It's a pretty modest kind of place. And at the same time, you had a really good pickup. Um, it sort of pans across the Lang and Simmons for sale board at the front. Delene showing Simon through and, and pointing out the features um, in terms of it being a really nice home. Um, and Simon makes a few quips about whether his staff can fit in there or not, blah, blah, blah. But the, the sign actually points, and Delene does mention that there's DA approved plans in place if someone didn't want the house as it was to be able to knock it over and, and build something else. Um, and it, it looks like the signboard really emphasises the fact that it's probably a development potential site as opposed to it being a, a nice cutesy little cottage for someone to move into. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, um, I, I don't think we see this place again, but it was sold. They wanted, Delene wanted 5.8 for it and it was sold um, for 6.4. So yeah. um as usual, Simon's smoking the funny stuff. Yeah, that's um, right. So interestingly, though, it had only sold the year before for 4.1. So when Simon went in there and said, look, I know that this place was sold last year, what, the market's gone up maybe 15%, and Delene says 15 more like 50%, and that's where we've sort of come to that six-ish figure. 
Um, and look, the proof was in the pudding with that sale at 6.4 because it was sold for 4.1 maybe just over 12 months prior and that really just goes to show the um, bullishness of that Sydney market during this filming period um, all the way up until very recently, I suppose, um, where it wasn't unusual to see things sort of rise by 50%. And we're talking about 50% of $4 million, which is a lot of money. A lot of money, yeah. Well, that that is, um, I think that really does bear testament to how crazy Sydney was last year. Like, yeah, right, right there is proof. But um, Delene and Simon kind of, you know, put put down the weapons and um, say, see you, see you at the meditation. Um, Simon knows that um, Gavin has taken is cheated on his bromance and taken Martine into Sylvania waters. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, that's interesting too because you know, like. Everybody knows everything in this industry, right? Correct. Yeah, everything and everyone. And there look, no Simon secrets. probably has a very <laughs> typical agent response to that um, by saying, bloody Martine, who is she, blah, 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 she's nothing compared to me, and just has a little dig, quite polite, nothing brutal. But um, Delene is very quick to realise the cameras are still rolling and the industry is very small and she probably knows Martine throughout her connections or networks uh, and is very quick to remind Simon that, it's uh, necessary to play nice and um, be polite. Yep, that's it. You've got to keep it tidy. Yeah, correct. Um, got to go back over three bridges and ten tolls <laughs> to get back to some <laughs> waters now. Yep, um, and we see we see Gavin walking up the driveway, and I was thinking, what? No Lambo, no Uber. But then I thought, well, lesson from John McGrath: always park down the end of the street. Correct. Don't take up the good parking spots in front of the house. They're for the buyers. Yep, and. Um, so we hear that, why can't this be Miami song again? Yeah, <laughs> I thought we buried that last episode that's back. Well, no. Do you know what? I saw on Facebook, um, Lux Listings, if you if you look it up, they've actually made a Spotify playlist of all the Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, so we'll leave a link to that in the show notes just in case anyone's missed it. But, yeah, they've actually um, apparently a lot of people have been asking them about their music. Don't yeah, right. I've got a four-hour drive down to the coast for my Easter break, so I know I'm set now. I don't know if you can take that much, you know, that much <laughs> yeah. that much rap. But anyway, um, uh, Sylvania Waters, Cooley's tyres back in action. Yeah, um, and I think I think it should get a credit of its own, frankly. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but um, interesting conversation. So Gavin and and um, Damien are talking, and. Um, Gavin says he only wants six. Gavin wants more, and he says he gets a bonus commission at six point five. So let's yeah. talk about that as a as a listing strategy. Yeah, look, it's not um, uncommon. It probably doesn't happen every listing, but it's not uncommon for agents to try and um, put themselves in a position of striving for that absolute dream price. I suppose um, a lot of uh, sellers are quite into it because they can see then that. There's an extra carrot, I suppose, for an agent to be really um, dedicated to, to achieving best possible price. And I think that that's a given in most agency situations anyway, that the, the agent's job is to achieve best possible price. But if we're talking about a price which is that big, hairy, audacious dream price, um, then, yeah, absolutely most vendors are happy to remunerate a, a substantial chunk. So, I mean, quite often you could see that the, the standard fee on something like that might be 1.8% on the sale, on the wholesale itself, and then there might have been a nice little 10 or 15% kicker for anything over and above that $6.5 So, look, I mean, even if you extend 
by $100,000 over and get 6.6, that's a nice little extra 15 grand on top of the 1.8% of up to 650 as well, uh, six and a half as well. So um, yeah, look, it's not uncommon. It's a nice way to be able to show your vendor that you've got extra incentive to achieve absolute best price. Um, and yeah, look, unfortunately, we'll talk about the auction in a minute, Gavin misses it by that much, but I mean, oh. there's still the, the fee on the 6.4, 6.456 maybe. I think yeah yeah well, it, it, yeah I, I I think yeah 6.456 I think $44,000 short of the bonus but um yep. this auction is interesting because remember you know remember last week we had a good giggle over the you know the quotes from the first season where Gavin says you know I, I work I work the auction floor like a stripper at a bucks party yeah and uh, and even last week he was saying, you know, when it's auction day, I'll shake my hind little hiney for dollar 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 yeah, bills. That's right. Um, and he, yeah, he literally like he he works harder. Like he literally does go from buyer to buyer. And yep. I thought it was, you know, like clearly, like he's not only got Damien Cooley reading the room, and you know, like Damien's just an expert at reading everything. Tea leaves, I reckon Damien could read. Mm. Um, but. Um, you know, like he does, he actually sort of knows which move to make with which buyer to sort of, you know, get things going and again. And not that this would happen in, in every auction because I think, you know, maybe would they do it in Wagga? I don't know. We'll get to that in a second. But he does, um, you know, the way that Gavin does play people off against one another is pretty interesting study in, in humanology, I think. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to see Gavin's read on who needs to be spoken to and who maybe doesn't. And I think that there's always a situation where some buyers need that nurturing through the actual auction process where some others don't. And you'll see that there's a couple of buyers there or bidders in this situation that Gav doesn't approach in terms of what we can see anyway, um, but doesn't approach to try and coach them through another bid or anything uh, and, and really focuses his attention on the one that he thinks needs the focus. Um, it's, it's interesting to see, I think that in most auctions, uh, the, the team sort of gets a bit more involved and it's not always up to just the listing agent. Quite often times you may have other agents within your office that have also introduced buyers to this property throughout the campaign. So they're working their buyers. So you may see that there's a couple of conversations going on concurrently with different agents from the office. Um, B, it was interesting to see Shani and perhaps it was Evan, I think, um, that was at this auction and they really just stand at the front like they're on show. That that. I don't see that happen at auction all the time. Um, usually you've got them within the crowd or mingling within the crowd or, or giving that commentary or coaching as needed. Um, but, yeah, in terms of would it happen in Wagga, I think a lot of regional agents would agree that regionally, outside of sort of Sydney, Wollongong, Newcastle particularly, there's not a lot of contract auctioneers. So a lot of the auctioneering gets done by the agency principal who is often the listing agent. So, we we're void of that opportunity to, to talk to the buyers as we're going because we're at the front calling the bids. The metro markets have a really good opportunity to work the buyers because they contract that auctioneering out. And I think that if regional agents have the opportunity to contract that auction out, they really should do that. Having the auctioneer being the same person as the salesperson being the same, you know, the same as the agency principal, it's a it's a very, very different world. And yeah. um you know, like the other thing that I want to point out here is it's obvious too that um, 
you know, if you are going to bring in an auctioneer from outside that you have to have done the work, like the auctioneer doesn't have to do all the work. And there has to be like a great relationship between the agent and the auctioneer, like almost like a, and there is kind of, you can see a symbiosis between Cooley and and Gavin because they've worked together so often. They So they kind of could almost finish each other's sentences. Yep. And, um, you know, I think there's probably, you know, if you are in a city market, there's no substitute for having that, you know, hope is not a strategy on auction day. Yeah, 100% right. And I think Damo would have that with uh, the, the bulk of the clients that he calls for, particularly in those in-rooms auctions that he does a couple of nights a week. Um, the agents are so comfortable with knowing that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows, and I know that Gavin mentioned it in your interview with him last week, he knows just when to put the right amount of pressure on and he knows when it's called for trying to extract an extra couple of thousand versus an extra couple of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in the bid. Um, and look, that he, he is best in class. I mean, Damien Cooley, there, there arguably is no better auctioneer in the country. Um, and that comes with years and years of uh, experience and dedication to his craft. So all power to him. But I think it's a really powerful point as a selling agent to be able to have that complete trust in the auctioneer so that they can do their thing and you're not having to worry about any of that stuff or you can work your buyers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so 6.456 is the final sale price. So it's more than what they thought they were going to get. But unfortunately, as we mentioned before, $44,000 short of the bonus. But um, I thought what was really good here is that, you know, like while Gavin was sort of out on the floor working his, you know, (laughs) working his magic, um, that um, he went straight to the underbidder and said, look, we'll help you find something. Yeah, correct. And it was straight to the underbidder. It looked, and I mean, again, we were at the um, powers of editing and, and not being there on the day, but it looked like he might have all, almost done that even sooner than what he did to go and congratulate the the actual buyer. So, um, yeah, really good play from Gavin there. Yeah. So let's get out of Sylvania waters, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> and go and, go and meditate. Back. Take us back to the east. <laughs> let's get our zen on. I don't know where this meditation room is, but um, this is one of my um, favourite scenes with Delene where she's sort of walking around lighting candles and, um, you know, basically looks like a, a model for an activewear brand. Um, yeah. And um, and she talks about how important again meditation is. And this is my favourite thing. She she said the word unoverwhelmability, and it took me a while to actually write down what that was. And she said, when everything goes big, you go quiet. You know. Yeah. So, and I think that's such a great lesson for young agents too, because in real estate there can be so much noise. Um, but you know, like when everything goes big, you go quiet, take a moment, take a deep breath, um, engage in the good. And she's lighting candles. And I sat there and scratched my head for a moment and thought, well, that's, you know, we were talking about quotes last week. So that's one quote that I haven't heard, but, um, I picked up my pen and wrote that one down whenever, when everything goes big, you go quiet. Um, because it's just, you know, it's, it reminds me very much of God, what just came to mind was Nicole Kidman when she broke up with Tom Cruise. Do you remember the furore over that? Yeah. When everything goes big, you go quiet. So she she handled herself in such an amazing way. And I think that's just, yeah, Delene handles herself in such an amazing way. Yeah. And you, as we saw in the, the chat that I had with her, she really credits meditation to a lot of her success or the ability, not to her success, but the ability to be successful. Um, and I've been quite intrigued by that since where I've spoken to her and since she mentioned it earlier in the season as well. Um, and that unoverwhelmability um 
explanation of what meditation is um, has really stuck with me. And it's something that I've looked into and have started practicing myself as a result of Delane. So thank you, Queen Delane, if you're watching. Um, I think the ability to not be overwhelmed and, and as you said, going quiet when everything else goes big. There's a real lesson there, particularly for newcomers to industry, because it's bloody hard. And apart from there being noise, noise, noise all day, every day, it's a tough gig. And it's a lot of rejection, particularly at the start. It's a lot of rejection after rejection after rejection. And able to be in a position where that isn't overwhelming is a really important trait to be able to possess. Yeah, I think too in real estate, and I talked a lot about this with um, Cara Atchison, you know, who was in Survivor, the empath from Survivor, because in real estate, you can take on, I think, everyone's emotions because generally people are buying or selling or moving and it's an emotional time in some way. And I think you don't have to be an empath to take on, you know, like a lot of what's going on around you. And, um, you know, and I think the other thing too is, um, you know, someone with Delene's experience obviously has learned over a period of years not to react to situations emotionally. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that okay, um, let, let me go quiet for a second, think about my next move, perhaps even sleep on it, um, meditate on it, like I, I completely get it. Yeah, and I think a real um, class showing of that we, when we talked about it in the season one recap was when that vendor sacked her while she was at a dad's party and she handled that with such dignity and grace and it really was a shitty phone call that she took out on the balcony away from everyone else but she immediately just regrouped within herself and got back on with things, went back and her family wouldn't have known any any otherwise I'm sure because she was able to just compartmentalise that, put it away until she needed to work out what the next step was. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time for the Keystone Cops to enter the building. (laughs) (laughs) So Simon enters in active wear and um, says, I don't have to stand on my head, do I? Like, you know, I don't want to ruin my hair. And then Gavin walks in in his workout suit and says, right, are we ready to effing meditate? Yeah, absolutely suited, like suited from head to toe. Like, And he does say, look, I've got an appointment straight after this, so I, I couldn't wear active wear or, or I don't have time to get changed afterwards. But I think it also probably shows that he's not that enthusiastic about it. He's probably a little bit sceptical about this mumbo-jumbo meditation anyway. So even getting in there is probably a bit of a win, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it is It is interesting. I actually thought it might have been an active wear suit. Like I actually, you know, because oh. this is the eastern suburbs we're talking about. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, like it, it for someone to have come up with the idea of having, you know, like a business suit, like hear me out, with a bit of lycra in it, a bit of extra <laughs> stretch yeah. so that you can go from desk to, you know, uh, yoga to, you know, to your spin yeah. class, to your dinner. I mean, it's not out of the realms of possibility. Maybe you want to trademark that, you want to get a patent. Yep, there's money there. <laughs> Just saying with a phone pocket, obviously, because you don't want to lose your phone. But um, speaking of phones, so, the, so you know, like uh, this reminded me of the Queen's Gambit. Delene says, all right, you two, shut up. I'm going to ring the bell and you've got to be quiet till the bell goes again. Yeah. Um and this just reminded me of those scenes in, um, you know, early Sunday school where, you know, they say, all right, it's time for the Lord's Prayer. And, um, you know, you got to shut your eyes. And then as a kid, you're kind of like looking yeah. to see who else's eyes are open, um, you know. And so the two naughty kids in the room, Gavin and Simon, look, you know, and then Gavin's Simon's, Simon's phone goes off and it's game over. Yeah, correct. And Delene's mortified. She opens one eye and says, what the fuck's going on here? The phone's <laughs> ringing. They're, they're not into it at all. Simon starts telling us then of this new buyer that he's got uh, who wants acreage in Sydney 
Um, he jokes, does anyone have anything that could home a couple of lambs and calves or, or llamas, he might have said, I think. Um, and then, look, it's just all on for young and old there. Then the, the barrage starts of uh, Simon and, and Gav and then Simon gets another email or a text message while he's there and it's a buyer that he's been dealing with on one of Delene's listings who he finds out has contacted Delene directly to change an appointment time. He chips Delene and says, what, what are you doing talking to the buyers directly? She says, well, your buyer contacted me. I can't just not respond. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't tried to cut you out or anything. It's just I've been courteous and gotten back to him. And the whole meditation thing's just up the shit, really. <laughs> no, um, situation sort of half normal for those two, I'm sure. Like, you know, like, but it reminded me too of the scene last year where someone went on that date with Miss Universe and, um, you know, and the phone rang and he ended up sort of doing deals the whole time he was at dinner. So, you know, yeah. the life of, um, you know, I think the lesson out of that is look after your partner. <laughs> Yeah, take yeah, time out yeah. of real estate. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be all the time. And then, you know, like obviously this is the end of the episode because then the camera kind of pans back and you see on the door to the studio, uh, contentment is the greatest wealth. Yeah. And I just thought, I thought either the camera crew or the producers have got a sense of humour because it sort of looked like, you know, okay, let's get let's get back to, you know, like some a bit of zen in this. But, you know, that's where the episode ended. Yeah. That's it. And so no cliffhanger this episode. I think it's probably the first one that we haven't seen any real cliffhanger. Yeah, I know. I was sort of expecting, um, you know, I don't know what I was expecting, I guess because there were so many cliffhangers like leading up to the end of last season. But um, there's a few things that are kind of, you know, unresolved. So obviously we've got a party to look forward to next week. Um, yeah. You know, as we saw in the previews, we still haven't seen Delta. So I'm hoping that Delta, um, the, the Delta thing happens in the next season. But, um, you know, uh, you know, how how did Gavin and Simon end up resolving their differences? Yeah, and I really thought that we might have finished this episode with a bit more of a, a cutback to Simon maybe trying to negotiate this deal for $14 million when the asking price is 18 to 20 I think that's quite an interesting story to see how he's going to, if he can put that together, how he does that. Um, and I thought yeah. we might have seen that phone conversation at least sort of ending halfway through which would lead us into the next episode to, to see how that all ended up. But, yeah, I don't know. I think the, the producers might have missed a bit of an opportunity for a cliffhanger here. Yeah, and the other thing that we've got to look forward to in, in I guess, wrapping up Season 2 is um, what's happening over at the Birdhouse with Monica. Yeah, correct, because that um, is an interesting storyline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm keen to know whether she was able to deliver on her promise to, to those guys because there's been some big promises made this whole you know, this whole thing. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, same. And same with the, the co-listing at the Grand Sky Penthouse. I think that's another bit of an unresolved issue. It was very briefly touched on in this episode, and obviously we've had a lot of coverage of it earlier in the season with the party itself, the co-listing party itself. Um, but it'll be interesting to see now that Gab's sort of given the green light to Kai to, to pursue it as a co-listing opportunity, how that all finishes up as well. Yeah, who will receive a rose? Um, who will receive a rose? Oh, who will receive Monica's rose? Yes, <laughs> so, so um, well, Dave, we are done, done, done again with um, episode five. So thank you once again for, for joining me for our Deluxe Nuts recaps. Yeah. And um, we'll be back again next week with the, with the season finale. Beautiful. Looking forward to wrapping it up. Amazing. See you then. Thanks, Em. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate Podcast. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit 
joinelateagent.com.